it's just like people's bodies get flooded mm-hmm. even at the mention of we're going to talk about race at work today or that sort of thing. <laughs> and so I find that I have to spend a good bit of time toning that down. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Bethany Wilkinson is a Black, Southern, soul-guided, race-conscious facilitator and coach. She is also the founder and author of The Diversity Gap, a book and ever-evolving community of social change practitioners. She helps entrepreneurs, activists, and creatives bring a race-conscious perspective to their work while also deepening into nature's rhythms as an anchoring practice for soul-guided leadership. Welcome back to Diversity Dish. I'm so glad you came back. This week, my guest is Bethany Wilkinson. Bethany, how are you today? Hello, everyone. I'm doing quite well. I am really looking forward to this conversation. I got a good night's sleep last night, so I'm here and I'm grateful. Yay. I am so grateful that you are here. We are here together. I'm so excited. I, the first question I want to ask you, because I ask all my guests and it tends to take us exactly where we need to go. And that is, what are you most passionate about right now? This is a beautiful question and it's just going to take us right in. I am most passionate right now about healing and about my shadow work and about, you know, returning to those places, those parts of my own story where there are wounds and, and healing those and tending to those and extending forgiveness and releasing rage and just doing all of that inner work. I'm very passionate about it right now. And it's, um, it's one of those journeys that affects your whole life. You know, if you are able to prioritize healing in one area, then the hope is that it spills over into everything else you do. So that's something I'm really passionate about right now. Absolutely. I love that. It's so beautiful. I want you to help us though, because I'm not sure that our audience is going to understand when you say shadow work Mm. and, you know, going into all of that. So please, can you expand a little bit more on that? Because I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think for many of us, we have patterns, you know, ways we show up in relationships. Maybe for me, I deal with a good bit of anxiety, for people I know and love, they navigate depression and it looks different for all of us, but we have these patterns, these ways we show up that if we could change them or heal them, maybe we would. And so for me, it looks a lot like many different things. It means working with a, with a therapist and with mental health professionals to help me parse out what's true, what's not true. I don't recommend that people do this work alone. And so having the support of a mental health professional has been really, really great for me, but then also 
you know, journaling and slowing down enough to like, listen to my body, especially when it comes to anxiety, it shows up. It's not just in my anxious thinking, but it tends to be a heart, you know, my heart racing. It can be Mm -hmm. uh, knots in my stomach. It can be random aches and pains and learning to just listen to my body and to know, oh, this is an opportunity for me to have deeper awareness of self, to, you know, invite support in if I need to, to like help me process things. It's just, when I think of shadow work, I think of spending some time paying attention to those parts of our lives and our identities that linger in the shadows. Yeah. And we can, you know, we can perform as though nothing's going on. You know, we can be on social media acting like everything's perfect. But for many of us, if we get still, if we get quiet, we find things in our shadows that might need some tending to so that we can show up more fully, more authentically and, um, and more in the way that we want to in the world. So that's, that's what I mean by shadow work and by doing some of that, that inner healing. And then of course, having the support to move through those things. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. I think when, when I think of the, of shadow work and I think of everything that you've just said, I think of those things that we allow to to take over unconsciously, right? It's that unconscious thing that it's like, oh, it's going to take care of itself. It's going to take care of itself. But we never consciously go, wait a minute. Why am I doing it this way? Why is it being done this way? And how is it really affecting me? And how is it affecting the people that I'm interacting with? And so that's what I hear when I hear what you're saying and I hear shadow work in the background things that happen yes. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so when you, and I love that you, you thought you spoke about therapy because I think that it's something, you know, more and more people are realizing how important it is, but I still think that some people have a tendency to shy away from it as mm-hmm. if it means that there's something innately wrong with you, mm-hmm. but If we take an aspirin for a headache, (laughs) we don't have a problem with that, (laughs) right? So when you talk about therapy, you said that it is for support. Please expand on that because that is something that I think people need to understand. Mm -hmm. I find support in lots of different relationships. I feel really grateful that I have a partner who is pretty supportive. I have siblings who are pretty supportive. I have parents who are supportive. But there are some things in your life where you can't really go to your partner, to your parents. Maybe it's about them, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And, or they're like the insight, you know, that's the trigger or whatever it might be. And I find that it's so helpful to have a relatively neutral person who is there to hold that space, um, who can ask me questions, who can mirror back to me the things or yeah, reflect back to me. Hey, here's what I'm hearing you say. Is this accurate? Because it just helps, especially as someone like me who tends to have an anxious brain, it helps to slow things down. And I don't have to worry about managing their feelings, their emotions. Like in that, in that moment, it is all about me in a way that I really need. And I find that in getting that support for myself, I'm then able to show up in those relationships, you know, with partner, with parents, with siblings in ways that have more integrity, more authenticity, and that are more grounded. I think when we're not conscious to speak to what you were sharing before, when you're not conscious of your patterns, it's like you bring them, you bring those things to the relationships, which is fine 
until it's not. And so I, I know for me that having that support, having that new, relatively neutral party who cares for me, who asks me questions, who helps me to get clear on what I'm thinking, what I feel, what I need, it really just helps me to show up in every other area of my life with more integrity, more authenticity, more consistency. And, and yeah, it really is just, it's just support. And I know that there's so much stigma around it, but I think a lot of us need support and there's no shame in needing support. You're a human being. We all need need it. And thank goodness that there are, there are these professionals who can help provide that support when our perhaps relational network can't be that for us in a moment of need. Absolutely. And I love what you said in that it is holding space for you. I think so often we, we don't hold space for ourselves. We don't give anyone else the opportunity or the space to hold space for us. So we're just constant. It's like being on that constant wheel and you're going and you're going and you're going you don't have time to think you're just reacting and when you hold that space it gives you time to think and to not react unconsciously but to react in your power basically Mm -hmm. right in your power Mm -hmm. so bethany tell us a little bit about what it is that you do right we've we've learned a lot about you but we want to know what is it that you do Hmm. Yes. So for my work, I am a coach and a facilitator and I support race conscious leaders and teams with their organizational culture, racial justice, diversity work. I really think of my work as empowering others or helping other people empower themselves to embody their values for racial justice and racial equity. And so I tend to create containers for curiosity, for grappling with complex issues, race, identity, privileged history, whatever it might be. And, um, and then supporting leaders as they evolve and as they grow. And it's interesting that we started this conversation talking about, you know, therapy and shadow work and all these things, because I Mm -hmm. very much so think that a big part of seeing transformation in our organizational lives is learning how to do some of that shadow work related to our racial identities, related to the power, privilege, access, all of these things. And so, so that's my work. I lead a practice called the diversity gap and we have a podcast and a book. And then again, I spend most of my time supporting leaders and teams. Yeah. And I think that was what attracted me to you. I, I, I don't even remember how I found you. <laughs> like I found you, I think it was your podcast, Diversity Gap. And then I found you on, on Instagram. And then I saw that you were doing a book and I read your book and I love your book. And I'm going to link your book because I think especially people who are in this work should could use what you've written. It's laid out so in such an easy way to just kind of follow. It's kind of like I go, oh, I can almost see myself in her class taking, you know, her courses because the book is laid out in that that same fashion. In your work, because I'm I'm in the same field, in the same type of deal. I'm helping, you know, for me, I feel like people need to understand the power that they hold uh, instead of giving it away to the industry or the company or what have you to know that no what you think what you feel has merit and you have power to be able to change those things that you don't like but you've got to be able to use your voice so that's kind of where i'm coming from so in your work what is the 
number one thing as far as you can tell that you run into that's like a wall when you're when in, when you're doing this work what is the thing that you run into over and over again that you have to kind of overcome Hey, thanks for listening. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and I help entrepreneurs and small businesses go from mediocre to magnificent by transforming their cultures to be more equitable and inclusive. To find out how we can work together, go to diversitydish.com, where you'll find my consulting, coaching, and speaker information. Diversitydish.com. I look forward to working with you. Mm. Two things come to mind and they're maybe connected. I know you asked for one, but they both came to mind at the same time. No, it's okay. The first one is, I want to say fear, Yeah, but it might also be, it's just like people's bodies get flooded mm-hmm. even at the mention of we're going to talk about race at work today or that <laughs> sort of thing. And so I find that I have to spend a good bit of time toning that down and level setting and helping people ground. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, but it's like, how do we turn down the volume on the anxiety of this conversation so that we can see eye to eye so that we can connect and so that the conversation can be real and not just disassociated or, you know, distressful. So how do you turn down the anxiety? That's part one. I would say the second thing I run into though, as we get into the work is some people want to talk about diversifying their team. Other people want to talk about telling the truth about history. And those are different things. And they'll be on the same committee though. And so trying to find alignment as it relates to our goals related to racial justice, equity, diversity, I feel like that's one of the biggest barriers I run into because you have one person saying, we just need to fix the pipeline. We need to solve the pipeline issue. It's huge. And you have another person saying there have been historical harms here that need to be addressed, reconciled, told. And while we can maybe do all of these things, we need to be clear about what's possible. So that's a gap that I'm navigating in some projects that I'm working on. And then it's also one that I see play out in organizational life quite often. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I know I just said a lot, but yeah. yeah. No, but that's like the best answer I can give you. Yes, absolutely. There's one group that's saying, these are the things we need to do. We need to do, we need to do. And another group that's saying, hold on a minute. These things have happened here and are happening here. We need to fix this part here before we do, do, do. And they're both valid. And you're right. There's got to be a way to to mesh and kind of bring everyone together to the same page and to the same goal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, you know, I often say when I'm, whenever I'm talking to organizations, I say, I don't want to talk about diversity first. I want to talk about equity and I want to talk about inclusion and let's talk about how that's happening or not happening right now within your organization, because the diversity in my mind, is kind of going to be an outcome of creating a space and a culture that is aware and that is working on, you know, creating that that whole space, right? Mm-hmm. How do you turn down the anxiety that people have when it comes to talking about 
diversity or, you know, talking about race, basically. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I think that we sometimes use diversity as a way not to say race. Totally. But, <laughs> but, you know, but diversity can be so many things, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Diversity is so many things. And sometimes we need to be as specific as possible. So if we're talking about race, we're talking about race. If we're talking about LGBTQIA issues, we're talking about those. If we're talking about people with disabilities, we're talking about those. There are so many different things within those things. So we can't use diversity as that big umbrella. So sometimes mm -hmm. we have to say race. Yes. So how did <laughs> Yeah, and that's what I do. I, I do think, I mean, I, it's really explicit in my website, especially, and it hasn't always been this way, but I'm like, y'all, we're talking about race. If you come to the diversity episode, we're talking about, and it's not to the exclusion of other identities. I do believe in intersectionality and we get there, but yes. I find that for many people, the, especially in my context, I, I live and work in the South. And so it's a, and I am Southern. So I, there's a story that's in my body related to race here that yeah. I, that shows up in the room with me. And that may or may not be the case for people across the country, but I do know here it shows up in a certain way. And so for me, it is, Part of it is creating space to say, hey, we're talking about race today. Let's get really clear on this. Um, but even before we get to that point, there's a few things. I do what I can as a human to be aligned and grounded as the facilitator. I don't want to under, not under, understate how important that is. And I have to do a whole lot of my own stuff to show up the way I want to. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoy, I think it's important to enter the time with, you know, really robust introductions and then having like group agreements, like grounding agreements for how yes. we're going to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. I find that to be incredibly constructive. Like this is a confidential space. This is a space where you use the language you have. You don't have to know everything. Use the language you have. We'll work through it. Like helping people know, Hey, this is a container here. Yes. And these are the things, here's how we're going to show up in this space together. And to be clear about that helps turn down that anxiety. I also really think it's important to have some sort of like meditation or depending on the group, I work with some faith-based groups, maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's a poem, like how do we ground in something that is perhaps more abstract or poetic or artful even, mm -hmm. I find that that helps turn down the anxiety. And then I think it's really important and helpful for me as the facilitator to model a lot of curiosity because I think people feel safe and respected when you want to know about them. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to do my best while I'm bringing a world of understanding about frameworks and power into the room. How do I still hold space for the human beings in front of me mm -hmm. and knowing that they make choices for reasons and that they have, so it's really as the facilitator, it's holding a lot, but those are some of the things that I think through and do when I'm trying to turn down that anxiety in hopes of creating a space for people to have the conversations they need to have for their organizations to thrive in this way. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's one thing that I don't think that people understand quite often is the amount that you hold in order to be able to show up and to do the work that you are doing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. Right. You're 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 not just managing your feelings because we're natural. We're humans. We're going to have feelings about things, but we're managing that. But we're also managing the feelings of the several people that we are working with yeah. and having to manage all of that and to keep it all OK in line so that everyone can kind of leave the room going, OK, 
something good happened here. Mm -hmm. That is a lot, a lot. So in knowing that, because I know, I know that's how, how it is. What do you do afterward to kind of, because we have to release, right? We, we have to be able to exhale, right? We're waiting to exhale. And then when we get there, we have to be able to release. What do you do to, to exhale or to release and then to allow yourself to, to heal past that? Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful question. I keep saying that because you have really beautiful questions. Um, <laughs> I'm learning this. I actually had a friend a couple of weeks ago who said, Bethany, you need a better aftercare plan. <laughs> <laughs> Because if I'm honest, what tends to happen is it, the, whatever the experience is, I facilitate it. And then I come home and I crash Then I'm grumpy for a few days. And then I realize I need to take care of myself. And then it just, it tends to be pretty messy. And so I (laughs) am learning and need to, and will continue learning how to be more proactive about Mm -hmm. aftercare. Some things that I know probably should be part of that plan are, you know, disconnecting from digital things like not checking like taking maybe a day off afterwards yeah based from my email would probably be helpful um making sure that I have really nourishing food in my home would probably be helpful so that it's not an afterthought um communicating to my loved ones hey I'm going to be a little off for about 24 hours like give me some extra grace and then I have a pretty robust spiritual life and practice and so prayer meditation baths just really taking time to care for self to reconnect with myself I think I could be better at that not to make it this like performative stressful thing but I'm just being honest yeah. that I'm not I'm not great at aftercare on the worst days I tend to just keep working um which I think right. is my own trauma response or something like I'm yeah. trying to keep going but I'm learning I'm learning yeah and I think you know I think that 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 response where you just kind of keep working and you just kind of keep moving is kind of a trauma response and it's kind of like I don't know if I want to slow down I don't know if I want to feel the feels I don't know if I want to feel you know go go through that so I just want to keep going keep going keep going there's a very interesting thing that's happening with DEI professionals everywhere they don't last very long in the companies that they join and I've been thinking about it and I go Is it possible, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, is it possible that the reason they don't last very long is because they are on the same grind as everyone else, the same schedule as everyone else, and they have to carry so much, so much during that time that they get to a point where they're like, I'm done nothing's happening I can't do anything I'm I'm, you know oh my god I'm out of here right. And Mm -hmm. that's like the, the lack of being able to just have space. What do you think? Oh, yes. I haven't thought of it in these, in the terms that you just laid out, but I think you're spot on. Um, A few years ago, or this was many years ago now, maybe even seven or eight, I guess I had a moment. I was working in an institution while also spearheading some racial justice advocacy efforts in that institution at the same time. And I don't know how I came into this awareness, but I realized after a few months, I was like, I cannot participate and lead these changes. We need someone who is not Bethany 
to join the, like to, to be an external stakeholder because I I can participate as -hmm. a black person in this organization, but I cannot lead it. It's too much. It's too many dynamics. It's just, it's just too much. And so even now, as I'm working with teams, I definitely think that being able to turn it off, not being on their Slack channels, you know, like not being so in it creates a space that I need to be healthy because I think you're so right. If you are trying to advocate for or drive change while also experiencing the, the harmful or perhaps toxic or just whatever the systemic barriers are within that institution. Yeah. My goodness. I just feel like that would be impossible to sustain. Yeah. yeah it, 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 I, I, that's what I think. I think it's, it, it's unsustainable. And so here's the caveat, right? I think that these positions need to come with the opportunity to take the time you need whenever you need it, because no one can understand how much you carry. And we can, we can talk about it, but no one understands what that means, mm-hmm. especially not white people, mm-hmm. right? They don't understand what that means. And so when you go in and you negotiate, you have to negotiate and say, look, I need to be able to take the time that I need to heal whenever I need that time to heal. And then it becomes like, oh, they think, right? Then it becomes kind of a, well, why should you be treated any differently? And then you have to think, well, this is what equity looks like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm. This is what equity looks like. Let's Mm. take into consideration all of the, the emotional I don't even know what to call it, like the, 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 the handling of all the emotions that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. and then the driving of all the changes that you have to deal with, and also understanding what other people are going through, and you have to kind of take that on as well. And not everybody in the company is doing that kind of work. Chances are... <laughs> Chances are managers are managers are managing their teams, but they're not taking on the emotional, the emotional labor, maybe. Yes. The emotional Mm -hmm. labor that comes with knowing and understanding what your people are going through. Right. They don't have to do that. They've never had to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. They've only just said, this is the goal. This is what we're doing. Let's go this way. And then they just leave it at that. And everyone's just kind of like in their own own space so to speak and it's kind Mm -hmm. of like oh my gosh so i think that what we're seeing is that and if in my mind i have an idea of how that can be helped and prevented but i would love to hear your thoughts first Mm. you know yeah well i think i don't know that i have anything to add i i think that it would be really beautiful and powerful and helpful if organizations and companies prioritize the wellness of their DEI professionals in-house. Um, and I would hope that they're doing that for their entire team. And I, and I also think that there's kind of, you know, with transitioning out of maybe not transitioning out, but at this phase of the pandemic, it's like people are grappling with what does it mean to be healthy and whole and well, and to lead an integrated life. And I do think that companies, those who are paying attention are working hard to, to address those real needs yeah. that humans have because that's just the nature of our existence. And so I do think that it is a, an equitable move 
to include that margin, that space, and to extend that trust to your DEI professionals that they know what they're doing, that right. they know what they need, and that they wouldn't, and that they have your company's best interest in mind too. It's like, hey, if you want me to show up the way that I want to show up too, like I need this to be yeah, well. Yeah. And so I think it it's also a matter of trusting those team members to, you know, to be telling the truth about what they need to be <laughs> yeah. good at their job. <laughs> Because you brought them in because you don't know what equity looks like. So trust them when they tell you. <laughs> I often think that companies do not trust their people. Even their people are adults. They don't trust their people to have sense enough to be, to, to be vested enough to say, you know what, I really, or maybe they just realize that they're, that what they've built or the culture that they have is not one where people are going to want to stay. So then it's like, can you, maybe you should fix that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you should fix that. Then people want to stay. Then you can offer people the space that they need in order to forward and be mm-hmm. okay. And, and all of these things. Like I, I, I often think I see this huge picture and it's beautiful, but to get there, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So I want, I would love to hear your opinion on something when you're conducting these, you know, trainings or, um, you're going in, you're doing team group focus groups and and that sort of thing. Do you recommend, or do you see executives in the room with, with the people on the ground who are doing the work? Mm. Or are they a separate group so that they can learn separately and these people have a, a clearer, they're, they're, they're more comfortable, I don't know, so to mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. I've seen both and I do both. I think every organization is different. Um, I do find that there are things that executives need to say that they can't say when their teams are in the room. And there are things teams need to say that they can't say when their executives are in the room. And I think that's just the nature of power dynamics and hierarchy. Mm -hmm. I do think that as a facilitator, if I'm working with an organization long-term, I kind of become, I represent the other to the other group, or I'm able to work with my team to hear it all and then figure out what would be most helpful to reflect back to the group collectively, which is also a power dynamic that's at play that I have to pay attention to and be mindful of Mm -hmm. being one that listens and then distills and reports. Mm -hmm. And so I see, I see both things happening and it, it is tricky because because of those power dynamics. And, and it's also hard to make sure people are telling the truth and not that people are out here being deceptive on purpose, but when it's someone who signs your paycheck, how honest can you be? And so I find that the best I can do is to just be mindful of those dynamics and then try to nudge here and there when I hear or see something that will affect their DEI work long-term. Yeah. Trust. Sometimes I think that it's this, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of, well, they've not really done in the past certain things. I don't trust going forward that I can say what I need to say and it's going to be okay. And so though that trust needs to be built up and that gets built up as you build in more equity and you listen to your people. 
Yeah, really. I think listening and um, and like you said, being inquisitive, asking questions. That's not just in our work. That's just for every leader. Every leader should be asking questions and really paying attention and listening to what is being said and caring about it. Like I'm finding that that is such a big component. It's one thing to ask the questions and, and hear the answers. It's another to care about the answer enough that you say, how do we make it better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. so different. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Sure. How, what, when, where, and you know, all those things. <laughs> your book is called The Diversity Yap. It is beautiful. I love this cover. Me by too. The way. It's, I, I love the coloring and everything. Your book, did you, first of all, did you just have an idea? You wanted to write a book and you decided I'm going to write a book. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I hope to write more books, God willing, but if I have something else to say, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was working with um, an organization and with one of my mentors and, and he kind of was able to help me understand the process of writing a book a bit better. Um, and then I had another mentor who, who's written a few books and she also helped me to understand the process. And both of them really challenged me. Hey, people write books when they have something to say, number one. And number two, you need to make sure that you have enough to say on it, that it's an actual, it's a book it's and not an just a blog book. post, you know? And so for me, that structure was really helpful. And then I'd been doing this work around race for a while, mostly racial justice training, history, education, this sort of thing. And I also, as a black woman was a part of all these organizations. And I'm like, y'all are saying one thing, but my experience is something else. And Mm. so how do you value me, but you're not paying me equitably? How do you value me? But this is like actually really disrespectful. How do you value black people, but you're making these choices in black neighborhoods, this sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like living it, seeing it, being in community with other people um, who are experiencing what I now call the diversity gap. I had a lot of data and a lot of lived experiences and, yeah. and I also studied the problem. Um, and so I began by just capturing ideas on index cards. I still have the box in my closet. I'm like nice. every idea, quote, thought leader, like how do I start organizing all of the pieces of what I would say in this book? What are the gaps I'm seeing in, in resources on race and diversity? I found that there were lots of books on like on inclusion, you know, but that didn't take seriously enough, in my opinion, the reality of like racism and other systems of oppression. So I wanted to speak to that problem. Um, There were lots of books that talked about like the business case for diversity, but didn't pay enough, in my opinion, attention to the lived experiences of the human beings who are experiencing Mm -hmm. those diversity programs. And so it was a matter of me looking at all of those different pieces and and slowly over a few years, putting them together. And then of course, I also had the diversity gap podcast where I was able to interview lots of people about the diversity gap as they understood it and experienced it. And it was a labor of love to pull all those pieces together into one book. That's awesome. I love that it was a labor of love. I think you can feel that as you read it, because it's, like I said, it's so easy and it's so it's comprehensive and I'm, you know, I'm going to go back and read it again. 
and highlight and underline because I think it has so much to say and so much to offer to anyone who's doing this work or even people who aren't doing this work, but people who are interested in understanding and caring. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because if you're if you're ready to care and understand of what's happening, there's so many books to read. And this is definitely, I think, one to help organizations, entrepreneurs. Yeah. I'm a big, if you're an entrepreneur and you see, and you have a vision for your business that is bigger than yourself, mm. now is the time to start implementing absolutely everything so that you grow that way. Because yeah. if you're waiting until you're, you've already missed the boat, yep. so true. <laughs> you're already, you're so already true. in a space where you're going to have to be playing catch up. Like mm -hmm. a lot of these companies are now mm -hmm. and that's yeah. harder than just starting from the very beginning yeah mm -hmm. and, you know, and there are a lot of reasons for that as well you know we we know that but you got to start you got to start somewhere got to start somewhere and i did i really did want the book to be easy to understand and i wanted it to be actionable i wanted there to be things that people could try tomorrow and and not that what you try tomorrow is what you're going to do for the next 50 years, but it's like, you've got to take some risks. You got to get creative. You got to think outside the box. You've got to bring energy and vision to this work yes, and yes. you have to keep people at the center and, yes. um, and like real humans, real stories, real questions, real needs. People don't exist to make your business look a certain way. You exist to serve others. And so how do, how do we hold those things and make sure that we're dignifying folks in the process? Yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think so strongly is that, you know, the the whole idea of the, the way that business is structured was never intended for women or anyone with any type of intersectionality. It was always intended for white men to take care of their white families, right? So when we think about it in those terms, we have to realize that there's so many things that need to be reimagined because you have we have so many different people in the workforce now that, yeah. that we can't keep that very narrow mindset and think it's going to be okay we have to expand it and mm -hmm. the way that we expand it is by constantly asking questions constantly caring about the answers and going in and making those changes even if they're not like the other company sure one mm -hmm. <laughs> of the one of the questions that i that I grapple with and that just kind of grates against me sometimes is, well, how are other companies that are in our industry doing it? I'm like, you don't seem to understand what we're doing here. We're mm. trying to create something new. When you're creating something new, there's maybe you look at the landscape and you go, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. But you don't say, well, we're going to do it like them because they're still part of the landscape. Yeah. You know, they're still they're still doing doing what they know to do what we've all learned to do right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i know that you just this book you just released this book last year october 2021 mm -hmm. yeah last year wow you just released the book last year and so you know that you you've said everything you wanted to say for this book yeah. And so now you're kind of gathering information for the next book, possibly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's exciting. 
That's great. And so your 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 work that you're doing now on a day to day is more just working with with companies and 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 so how did you get to this work? Mm. Oh, how did I get here? I'm a lot. (laughs) It's such. I mean, a lot of it's just saying yes to the people around me. Sometimes regretting that. Sometimes loving it. Um, I'm a big believer in community, and I'm a big believer in solving local problems. And so for me, I didn't set out thinking I'm going to go be a DEI consultant or a facilitator. It was, mo- it was seriously and mostly, Hey, I'm in this community and things are happening in the world related to race and people don't know what to do. And I'm the kind of person who, when I see a hole that I can fill, I will try to fill it for better or for worse. And so <laughs> it started out very much. So as a local solution, I was, um, a part of a church and, it was maybe 2014, 2015. And, um, me and one of my friends decided, Hey, we know just enough to be dangerous. We know just enough to invite our peers into, um, some hard conversations. And so we co-founded a project called grace dialogues, which were these day long anti-racism trainings for our church. And so Mm. we did that for a few years. Um, but I started to get frustrated because I found that to your other question, executive level leaders, either they weren't in the room or they weren't changing anything. And that was frustrating to me. Um, how mm-hmm. you keep saying you care about this. And I suppose that your solution is to sign a check to me and a team to lead a training, but that's not really what we're asking for. I mean, I'll take the money to execute this, but, um, what I'm asking for is like cultural shifts here and yes. changes in power dynamics and some greater reflection on your part, you know? And so seeing that, that gap was frustrating to me. And that's, how the diversity gap as a research project was born. And so, yeah, I think for anyone who's even listening, I think it also, if it's a real solution, it has to be a local one. Like if this can't, this has to apply in your family unit, in your neighborhood, like if we're always, I mean, I, I do think there's value in collective action. I think there's value in protest and advocacy and policy, but I do think that we diminish our power when we aren't showing up in our real lives in our real communities and our families if it's a solution, it has to be local and that not exclusively, but at least to start for many of us. Yes. Start where you are with what mm-hmm. you have and what you know and grow from there Yep. and make sure that you're, and then as you grow from there, take someone along with you, share the information you learn, and then maybe they can do the same thing, but yep. absolutely. It has to, it has to be local, which is the same with, in a company right each individual you bring yourself to work you work on that that dynamic there and then now the company can project that and maybe maybe another company is going to say what are they doing over there because it's so different than what we're doing over here or what the industry is doing but it's working so well Mm -hmm. you know it constantly reminds me of this that guy i can't remember his name and i really do need to, to learn his name would add this company and he reduced his salary. He's the CEO, he reduced his salary so that he could pay everyone in the company starting no matter who they were at 70,000, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're now they're a Harvard case study yeah. because the people are so happy. They have low turnover, super happy employees, employees who can buy cars, buy houses and live the lives that they want because somebody said, let's do it differently. 
-hmm. Let's not just, let's not, let's think outside the box. Let's do it differently and let's do it more equitably. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you know, they, they're growing, they're making more money than they've ever made. And why? Because they did it differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Mm, Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to, to just kind of share with us right now? I don't think so. I feel like this has been really great and we've covered a lot of ground. I think so too. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we have covered a lot of ground. I so appreciate you being here. Uh, But before I let you go, I have to ask you the question that I ask all my guests because we are on diversity dish. So I need to know what is your favorite dish? Mac and cheese. Ooh. <laughs> thinking about this because I knew you're going to ask and I was like what do I say do I say pizza do I say french fries do I say pad thai and I think it's mac and cheese especially my grandmother's mac and cheese yeah that's the best Ooh, I know there's nothing like some real loving put into a home mac and cheese it is like the best Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay, I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Bethany. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to link everything in the show notes because I want people to buy your book and I want people to connect with you. And I just appreciate you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. This has been pure delight. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at patreon.com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, don't forget diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.